Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies in Africa for driving us through the afternoon. It is Thursday, January 31st, and I'm Shane Dawson, and you are listening to Game On. Coming up between now and 7pm, we will hear from Andy Farrell ahead of Friday's Six Nations opener in Marseille. Keane Tracy joins us to discuss Ireland's team selection. Damien Lawler wraps up today's latest Gaelic Games stories, including the confirmation of super value Porky Cueve. Nadine Doherty reviews and previews Division 1 action in the Ladies National Football Leagues and we'll also cross live to our reporters at this evening's Premier League Games. As always, if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552, WhatsApp 087 187 9200 or we're on X at Game On 2FM. Game On on 2FM. Good evening, welcome along to Game On. Keen Tracy, rugby reporter with the Irish Independent, is sitting across from me and we are going to chat rugby in due course. But before we do, a couple of short news headlines. Ireland Gleeson's Republic of Ireland will face Italy in a February friendly to help them fine-tune preparations for April's Euro 2025 qualifiers. The girls in green take on the Italians ranked 14th in the world at Viola Park in Florence on Friday, February 23rd would kick off at 5.15pm. The venue is a state-of-the-art training club for Serie A club Fiorentina. The Italy clash is part of a friendly double header on Tuesday, February 27th. Ireland welcome Wales to Tallis Stadium. Half-seven kick-off. That match will be screened live in RT2 and the RT player. In golf, the PGA Tour has secured a 3 billion dollar investment into a new for-profit entity from a consortium of US sport team owners as part of a deal that allows for co-investment from Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. The deal with Strategic Sports Group will give the US-based circuits players access to more than $1.5 billion as equity owners in the new PGA Tour enterprises. And finally... Uh, just in the last few minutes, St. Patrick's Athletic have announced the appointment of Stephen Elliott as their new head of academy football. The former Ireland international who holds a UEFA A licence started a full-time position uh, with Pats this week as part of his new role. Stephen will also lead uh, the team's under-20s as uh, manager or head coach, as they call it these days. Game on. Rugby. But the... Big, big news of the day that Keen Tracy is here to discuss is the Ireland team news for Friday's uh, Six Nations opener away to France. And Keen, uh, I suppose the headlines, uh, Gary Ringrose has been ruled out of uh, the match while Joe McCarthy and Calvin Ash will make their first appearances in the championship uh, as part of the starting team. Kieran Frawley is the replacement out half on the bench and his versatility has allowed Farrell to go with a 6-2 split of forwards and backs among uh, the replacements. Nash has won the race with Jordan Larmer to start in the right wing and the Munster man is in line for a first Six Nations appearance as I mentioned having made his Ireland debut in the summer series uh, against Italy in August and the big call on the fourth sees uh, McCarthy Joe McCarthy also given uh, Six Nations debut the 22 year old stars in the second row alongside Tyg Byrne with James Ryan on the bench and Ian Henderson missing out on uh, the match day squad so lots to distill Lots of narratives to get through, Keen. Where where shall we begin? The first ever six two split for Andy Farrell. Yes, as, as Ireland manager, I'm sure you may. for yeah, certainly the first six split six two split that Andy Farrell has gone with. I mean, a listener might correct me, but I cannot remember 
Ireland ever going with a 6-2 split um, on the bench even before Andy Farrell now obviously it's much more in vogue now probably since South Africa won back-to-back World Cups and obviously they pushed the, the limit even more so um, by going 7-1 mm. including against Ireland at the World Cup so Ireland haven't gone as bold but a 6-2 it's definitely it's definitely new ground Shane but the provinces have been going 6-2 uh, splits on the bench um, quite often actually this season I think Leinster have done it five or six times I was having a okay. look um, probably no surprise with Jack Nienarber coming in as defence coach there but um, it's interesting timing I think like if you were to look at it in black and white and go man for man it makes a lot of sense for Ireland to go this way because France have gone for a 6-2 split on the bench and we can get into the team that they've picked but they've clearly gone for power so look it makes sense from an Irish point of view to try and match up to that but it's interesting timing because Andy Farrell would have had numerous occasions over the course of his four-year reign so far where he could have went for a 6-2 split mm. not least in that World Cup game against South Africa but he doubled down on you know I suppose what had stood to Ireland well and he went with the five forwards and three backs in that pool game and it obviously paid off because Ireland got the win so um, you were kind of thinking if he didn't do it then would he ever do it so it's interesting to see now that he has gone with it so I mean the quality of the bench that you're you're going to have to call upon is I would say it's one of the strongest bench in terms of the forwards that Ireland have ever had obviously Ronan Kelleher Keane Healy Finley Bealham James Ryan who's going to be I think really annoyed that he's not in the starting lineup. Um, you've got Ryan Baird and Jack Conan like, that is serious bench to, to call upon so I suppose it's about using it in the right way France will most likely I would suggest probably bring off their entire front row with about 50-60 minutes gone I don't see Ireland doing that I think they're going to try and get every ounce out of Andrew Porter for example I could see him playing 70 plus minutes I think Tyg Furlong is going to be in for a long stint but in terms of the, the back row Peter O'Mahony will probably be asked to you know, empty himself for 55 minutes mm. and then you've got a guy like Ryan Baird or Jack Conan to come on similarly for Joe McCarthy you know give it everything for 55 minutes and you've got James Ryan so it's very exciting to see um, like I said it hasn't been done before and if it works you could see it happening more I do think it's a horses for courses selection in a way like I don't think next week we're going to see Ireland go with a 6-2 split on the bench but if it works we could start seeing it more OK well let's get the thoughts uh, of Andy Farrell uh, on exactly that it's what we feel is the right thing for this game. I mean, you know, we all know it's going to be a, a war of attrition. Um, set piece uh, is 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 premium in any game that you play play against France. The uh, the big men, size of the pack, and they're very accurate as far as the set piece is concerned. But not just that, with where we're playing, the conditions, and the type of game that um, France can also play in the broken field type game, we think it's going to be a fast game as well. You know, so. If you look at our bench, the uh, the power and pace that we've got within that pack to come on and, and finish the game strong is, is, is something that we think will work in our favour this time around. I think what we worked hard with with Johnny over the last four years uh, was everyone around him taking responsibility. I, I, I certainly feel anyway that we've come on leaps and bounds in that regard, you know. Um, no longer are we just reliant on the 10 to, to steer the ship. You look at the progression in the last four years that Hugo Keenan's made or Mac Hansen's made or James Law's made, Robbie Bundy, um, uh, as far as his organisation and, and his skills has, has gone through the roof. So um, we've worked hard to, to, to get to that point and hopefully that will continue. We all realise it's a, it's a huge game. I mean, it's mouthwaters, isn't it? You know, um, it'd be a great game to watch, I'm sure. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Um, 
the stadium, the atmosphere, uh, it being the first game of the Six Nations after a World Cup. It's, uh, if you can't get excited about that, as I keep on saying, you're in the, you're in the wrong place. Well, the exciting thing for me is, uh, are, we, are we brave enough? Have we, have we got the courage enough to go and do what we said we're going to do? And obviously, we're playing against the world, world-class side. But um, taking your opportunity and, and being the best version of ourselves is, is the expectation that, that we have of ourselves. So living up to that is going to be demanding for, for, for us. But if you want to be successful, if you want to try and be the best, then you've got to, got to beat the best in places like this. And the occasion doesn't get much bigger. And we, we've got to um, relish those, those type of occasions and, and, and go after them. Certainly could be the best match of the tournament. The, the opening match, a match that, of course, you can listen to at live commentary on RTE um, Radio 1. Keen, you posed a question in your Irish Independent article, and I'm just going to unashamedly throw it back <laughs> at you. The 6-2 split, is this because Gary Ringrose isn't available, or is it the, the strength of France and, and what they possess? Like, why are we going with this? I suppose we, we don't know the answer to it. Like you heard Andy Farrell there explaining mm. that he feels like this is the right decision for this game. But like I said, the fact he's never gone with it before and he's had ample opportunity against France in the past, particularly in that South Africa game in the World Cup as well. But I suppose my thinking is if Gary Ringrose had been fit, look, he would have been playing 13 nailed on. And I just don't can't imagine a scenario where Robbie Henshaw gets left out of an Ireland 23 when he's fit and I actually think he's been playing quite well he, he played really well for Leinster against Leicester um, a couple of weeks ago but if Ireland went for a 6-2 split then there wouldn't really be room for Robbie Henshaw on the bench because you have to have halfback cover is there a world where Gary Ringrose would have played 14 then instead of Calvin Nash or is that too big of a gamble? Um, I just don't think that would have been Andy Farrell's style and I'm look obviously that was ruled out because Gary Ringrose is injured mm. but I would have been surprised if Andy Farrell went that way. I think it's really encouraging that he's picking a I was about to say a young guy but Calvin Nash is 26 he's, he's not exactly a new kid on the block he's a new kid on the, the test scene but I think it's hugely encouraging that Farrell is picking a player in his proper position. I, I can understand the argument for Gary Ringrose in, in terms of trying to get your best players onto the pitch but um, you look at what France have done by picking Joram Moifana who is normally a centre they're playing him on the left wing which I have to say I'm very surprised with I think that could play into Ireland's favour he's playing ahead of his Bordeaux teammate Louis Billet Barai who I think could be a star of the Six Nations. He was sensational at the World Cup. Okay, he had a couple of struggles maybe in the quarterfinal defeat to, to South Africa. But when you look at that France team and Mofana centre playing on the wing and you look at the second row that they've picked, they've picked a guy, Paul Gabriag, who hasn't played Test Rugby since the 2019 World Cup. So he's never played under Fabien Galtier. That to me, even though this had been well flagged in the French media um, since the weekend, France had an open training session in Marcoussi and it kind of became clear that this was going to be the team but when you look at what Ireland's Achilles heel has been you know particularly at the World Cup it's been their line out and in Cameron Walkie, who is on the bench, he is one of the best line-out operators in the world. He was first choice at the World Cup, playing second row with Thibaut Flamon, who is injured. And I think it's a big win for Ireland that Walkie isn't starting because, I mean, if you're a hooker like Dan Sheehan looking down the line and you've got Walkie there, I think it's he's an intimidating um, he's an intimidating prospect. I think along with Peter O'Mahony, one of the best defensive line-out operators in the world. So the fact that France have picked a second row from the wilderness, really, the 
international wilderness he's been playing with Stad I think suggests that they're going to try and play a massive power game here um, you've seen like I said Moafana playing on the wing and Ireland are going to fight fire with that by going with a 6-2 split on the bench but I suppose it's up to Ireland and Jack Crowley in particular to to probably think their way around this French side because I think France last season when they played Ireland in Dublin fell into a trap of mm. playing a bit of a, an open game which actually ended up suiting Ireland but I don't see them doing that I mean it's going to be 67,000 people in a packed out uh, Stad Velodrome it's going to be hostile and I think France will look to really overpower um, Ireland which is going to be a big big challenge You mentioned Jack Crowley we can hear from Andy Farrell on the Irish out half He's a confident kid, Jack, you know, so being able to grab hold of the team is, is, is tough for uh, young kids, especially with responsibilities like, uh, like in his position. But he feels very comfortable in being able to do that. Uh, how you run a week is pretty important and how you, you, you're making, making sure that the rest of your teammates uh, feel that you're in control. Um, he's, he's obviously learned a lot from Johnny in, in that regard. Uh, Harry's pretty good at, at that as well and Kieran Frawley's is getting, getting better at that but the only thing that matters is, is the performance isn't it um, uh, taking that preparation that's been, that's been good that's been very good actually in camp and, and transferring it to a, to a performance that we all, all want to see How will Jack Crowley handle the occasion and how will he become the orchestrator of things as Tesco, I don't think it comes much much bigger, much tougher. I think, in a way, it could even be more daunting than playing at the Stade de France, where Jack Crowley did play in the World Cup. He came off the bench in that South Africa pool game, which I've re- referenced um, a couple of times. But um, I was in Stade Velodrome a couple of years ago. It was where Leinster lost the Champions Cup final in 2022 to La Rochelle. It's one of the coolest stadiums I think I've, I've ever been in, but it's going to be hostile. I don't think it's go- we're going to see the scenes like we saw at the World Cup with 50-odd thousand Irish fans. You know, I just don't think that's going to happen. So, look, there's pressure on, his, on Jack Crowley's shoulders, but I think... You know most things that we've seen and everything you hear about him behind the scenes that he like he he will be ready. I think when you look at the way Andy Farrell has looked to blood him over the last eighteen months, he's been really clever with it. He, like everything here, like I said, he's been sponging information off Johnny Sexton, is everything trying to learn as much as as he can. But the crucial thing for Jack Crowley is not to, to try and be Johnny Sexton when he comes in on Friday night. He just needs to be himself. He doesn't need to do anything flash. I mean, I think the the X-Factor moments that Jack Crowley is capable capable of will come naturally. Maybe not on Friday night, but that's not what Andy Farrell, um, I think, is going to look from him. You just played the clip there earlier, Shane. Um, Andy Farrell speaking about, I suppose, the, the evolution of Ireland's attack and life after Johnny Sexton. And I think that's been one of the big successes of Andy Farrell's reign is that you think about when he took over from Joe Schmidt, everything went through Johnny Sexton. Look, a generational talent, of course it did, but Ireland were almost overly reliant on Sexton to, to do everything, whereas you look at Hugo Keenan now is much more comfortable stepping up as a playmaker from full back. You look at the way Ireland used their wingers. It's a big night for Calvin Nash, but James Lowe is so comfortable in that system coming in off his wing. Bundyaki was one of the best players at the World Cup, will shoulder a lot of responsibility. And then you have James at Gibson Park 
playing inside um, Jack Crowley and I think you've seen Jameson Gibson Park when he's not playing with Johnny Sexton when James Lowe was missing for Leinster in the early part of the season he tends to take a little bit more responsibility on himself in terms of kicking and things like that so Jack Crowley is not going to be asked to you know come in on Friday night and, and, and be a hero I just mm. think like it's a bit of a cliche but he just needs to do the basics well he needs to kick well he needs to pass well he is going to face a lot of heavy traffic down his channel you're going to have Jonathan Daunty who has been a thorn in Leinster's side over the last couple of years outstanding La Rochelle centre he's going to be coming herring down uh, that 10 channel but Crowley's a good defender he never shirks his defensive responsibilities he's a really strong defender so I don't think he'll be daunted by that I think he'll need a bit of help from the likes of Josh van der Fleer sort of plugging those holes in around the seams so um, I'm I'm optimistic that Jack Crowley will handle the pressure but like I said it's it's no different to Maxime Lucu stepping into Anton Dupont's shoes I mean when you're replacing a generational talent like you need to be realistic I think mm. about your expectations and to be fair I think most Irish supporters will understand that this is going to take a little bit of time Johnny Sexton has been the fulcrum of the team for so long but Jack Crowley looks ready I mean he's had he's learned probably a couple of harsh lessons over the start of the season with Munster in terms of not all his fault obviously but the way that Munster have lost leads particularly in the second half so I think that will all stand to him and what is going to be like I said a cauldron I do want to ask you about um, how Ireland are, are kind of shaping up in the pack and I suppose this ties in with my final question if I throw a double question at you in terms of is this going to come down to who overpowers the opposition is that going to, what's kind of going to define the winner or what will it come down to? I think if Ireland get into an arm wrestle about trying to overpower France, I don't think that will end well. This is what I mean. I mean, Ireland have gone with a 6-2 split on the bench, but it's how they use that. Ireland have to be clever. They have to pick their way around this French team rather than trying to bulldoze their way through it because I just don't think Ireland will win an arm wrestle. But you look at the way Leinster beat La Rochelle before Christmas, before Christmas mm. um, you look at Ireland beating South Africa the only team to do so at the World Cup they didn't lose the quarter final by being overpowered by the All Blacks so I think Ireland have answered a few of those questions over the last while so I wouldn't be overly concerned by Ireland being uh, run over by France but I mean the scrum is going to be absolutely crucial Carl Dixon is the is the referee and we've seen Andrew Porter cough up a few penalties a guy like Joe McCarthy you know it's very exciting to see him make his Six Nations debut but he's got to keep um, a cool head like I said in this tough atmosphere he has a tendency to give away a couple of penalties um, and when you've a guy like Thomas Ramos who will kick goals from everywhere you just cannot afford to cough up cheap penalties so that'll be a big I think focus for Ireland too Well I cannot wait Very, too. You've wet the appetite Keen. <laughs> um, listen safe trip to Marseille you're off uh, to to it um, tomorrow and as I mentioned the match on Friday evening live commentary on RTE Radio 1 we are going to take a quick break and then we are back with Damien Lawler and Gaelic Games Game On on 2FM Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care Upgrade to Dove Men 72 hour advanced deodorant Tough on sweat not on skin Game On GAA now, joining us to go through all of the latest Gaelic Games stories is Orti Sport uh, Gaelic Games uh, journalist, Damien Lawler. Damien, pleasure as always to chat. Let us just dive straight into our conversation and begin with confirmation that an agreement has been reached over the naming rights for the stadium that has been known throughout its history as Porky Cueve. It would seem a compromise has been reached as part of a 10-year partnership. So, Damien, what is the situation and what are we now officially meant to be calling it? Super value Porky Cueve, Shane, and it's a, it's a deal that goes on for the next 10 years. Um, 
astounding really that you know Porky Cree could potentially have ever been left out of the the initial kind of talks or discussions or the initial proposals uh, a ground absolutely rooted in history um, by a, a pioneer pioneering figure in the GEA Patrick O'Keefe um, and I think look the stadium debt currently lies uh, north of 30 million uh, Cork's expenditure is close to nearly 2 million a year uh, you know they, they badly need commercial income coming in they do in fairness uh, recognise that they've been working very very hard I think they've they've plus 20 commercial partners um, you know but like the, their costs are absolutely massive and I've alluded to it before in this show the size of the county the number of teams the number of development squads uh, and of course the stadium debt hangs over them like a noose around their necks and the stadium is not getting enough use and um, maybe attendances are down a little bit too um, certainly in, in, in regards to football maybe revenue coming in and I, I just feel that there's concerts coming in now you've got uh, Munster Rugby are, are, are playing again there soon Bruce Springsteen playing in May and uh, I think this is, we're going to see an awful lot more of it Shane because mm. this uh, deal with Supervalue now to be fair Supervalue is part of Musgraves you know again that, that organisation is rooted in Cork history if they'd have come to the table with Supervalue Park the first time around uh, probably would have got a lot more of a green light uh, it certainly didn't. The people of Cork spoke up, the clubs of Cork spoke up, and tomorrow night now they must decide whether it's uh, it's rubber stamped at a Cork uh, County Board meeting tomorrow night. But I expect it will be, because there, the stark realisation is there um, that Cork GEA needs as much commercial income as it possibly can. And I just listened to Kevin O'Donovan, their CEO, outlining the fact that it keeps their debt at bay and allows them to promote the inter-county teams at the same time. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know what the, the figure is. The last time out, it was rumoured to be in the region of €250,000. It's uh, maybe a little bit higher than that this time around. You know, when, you, when you've got a stadium debt of €30 million, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a figure that's welcome, but like the, the debt is massive as well, Shane. So uh, I think the, tomorrow night's meeting will have little choice but to rubber stamp it, to be honest with you, because it's, it's uh, vital money that comes in and... You've got three subsidiary uh, sponsors as well, Boston Scientific, Pepsi, Pepsi-Cola and Stackraft. They will get subsidiary sponsorship rights within the stadium. So, you know, they, they are starting to, um, to, to utilise what they have down there, but to, to kind of business phrase, sweating the asset is, is going to have to happen over the next 10 years or so to, to, to get a good claw into that debt. Okay, so highly likely it will be ratified um, at the county board meeting uh, tomorrow evening. Um, listen, speaking of stadiums, Caseway mm. Park is back in the news um, because Euro 2028 organisers fear Caseway Park won't be ready in time for the tournament. However, the Irish FA have come out uh, and said they are confident that it's it's on track. So what's the latest? And also, could this get very messy very quickly? Well, it hasn't been helped by the fact that there's been you know, no stormers in operation for 23 months. And, you know, while we're led to believe now the stormers will be up and running again in a few days' time, well, I think everybody's there with bated breath to make sure that, you know, the, the executive st- stays in power and that they, it stays operative because uh, it's, it's such a, an unstable environment up there politically. Um, and the last 23 months have proven that. And no, you know, department or sector has felt that stagnation more than the public service and the case on park redevelopment and um, you know under Gregory Campbell's stewardship as sports minister Raven Hill 
and uh, you know the the Kingspan Brittany Park mm. uh, you know Kingspan Kingspan Park I beg your pardon uh, Raven Hill effectively uh, got redevelopment jobs um, and, and Casement didn't now at that time Casement couldn't get through its planning difficulties which which certainly uh, was a huge factor in that not getting the, the, the green light at that stage. Uh, since it has got the, the green light and got through the planning difficulties, you know, a, a bit like the costs uh, elsewhere, they've absolutely skyrocketed. And, you know, I think they, there are calls, uh, certainly from the DUP, that there wouldn't be a, black, a, black, a blank check uh, issued at this, uh, that the Irish government uh, need to stump up more money and that the GEA need to up their game in terms of what they're contributing as well. So you've all that going on in the background. Um, but I think the hope will be all along that Caseman Park, a little over 30, 34,000 capacity, um, you know, being ready for that tournament. Uh, and again, questions were asked, how often is this stadium going to be used? You know, but again, I think you have to think outside the box now if you are building a stadium, any part of this island, it won't pay for itself by the odd sporting fixture here or there. Uh, it has to become, you know, a very mobile uh, very fluid venue for concerts, for festivals, for seminars, for wellfests, anything like that. You mm. know, it has to be looked at. But the Irish FA are still confident that this will go ahead. Uh, certainly, you know, from a, from a GEA point of view, the uh, Caseman Park Stadium Management Committee and Ulster GEA are doing everything they possibly can. And, you know, they've been hit by challenge after challenge and obstacle after obstacle from, you know, contractors uh, being liquidated or going out of business. Uh, to planning difficulties. Uh, they've had so many liaison meetings with the residents. That was a tour on their side for a long time too. They've got through so much, but I think uh, if a storm had gone up and running and stayed up and running, you'd have to be positive for Caseman Park's redevelopment to start. But, you know, you will want to start soon enough too, Shane, for, for the, to be ready for, for 2028. Absolutely. Uh, um, hopefully there is good news uh, in the not-too-distant future. So that's all off the field. On the pitch, though, yeah. we do have uh, the National Hurling Leagues throwing in this weekend. Now, Marie and the guys will be previewing uh, the matches in detail later in the week. But, Damien, broad strokes, what should we be keeping an eye out for and what are you most looking forward to? Looking forward to seeing how the, the young Cork guys, the under-20 players, get on playing for uh, the senior team. And there's three of them being called up, and most notably uh, Ben Cunningham and you know, Michal Mullins and the young goalkeeper has been called up as well. So I'm looking forward to seeing that because that Cork under-20 team brought serious physicality, Shane. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Conor Heary from Kilkenny. He's a serious, serious player for Lachlan Gales and I, I'm hoping that he'll get a, a chance to, to, to step up too. Uh, breaking, breaking Kavanagh from, from Offaly is a, a hurler that's caught my eye over the last few years. I think he's really, really going to... Um, to, to make a mark as well. Eamon O'Shea has been coaching Galway. The reports are very, very strong on the field even since he took over. So I'm looking forward to see what he can do. The likes of Gavin Lee is up there and the likes of uh, Tiernan Killeen as well. And of course, his own son, Donald. Um, so I, I think people like Aaron Nyland come through that county. Galway will be, you know, they'll be, they'll be looking for a, a fairly proper league as well. Um, a lot of talk about Limerick in the five in a row. I wouldn't get him carried away with all that, but one guy I'm looking forward to seeing a lot more of this year, Shane O'Brien for Limerick. Um, he's multi, multi, um, multi-talented. He's only a young lad, so I don't want to blow him up too much, but you know, he's had unbelievable performances at underage, and I think this guy is the real deal. Um, you know, hurling, I suppose, with the fuss we had over the, you know, the weaker counties earlier in the year, Shane, um, you know, I think hurling needs a bit of jeopardy this time around, and I, I think it, it actually has that now um, with the 
with the, with the, not the, the new look league for this year, but it's going to be 17 top division next year. So that certainly shakes up the league the last few years. Like, I'm mean, oh, sorry, that shakes up the, the league next year. And effectively, a lot of teams will be relegated now that are in the, the top two divisions at the moment. Um, you know, three, three of them could be Lee McCarthy Cup teams. They will, they will be going down. So you're talking at a top tier next year of seven teams. And if you're getting ready for hectic Munster round-robin series and a Leinster round-robin series, you don't really want to be in Division 2. You want to be battle-hard nearly almost going into it. The round-robin series has definitely affected the league in recent years, Shane. There's no doubt about that. Uh, there hasn't been a massive value placed on it, but I think the GEA have taken a look at that and you have Jeopardy there now, plain and simple. And five of the 12 counties that are currently Division 1 teams, um, well, you know, they'll be effectively relegated based on, on how where they end up, uh, you know, later in, in the year, effectively March. And like last year, only one team went down. So the stakes are massive. Um, few counties would have opposed that, namely Antrim, Waterford and Wexford. They, they opposed that because um, maybe the fear that they, they could be some of the counties in danger of dropping down. But I think it's... Uh, you know, it's going to be a good thing. And I think since 2018, the league has taken a bit of a beating with the round-robin series. There's no doubt about that. And, and maybe this time around, uh, there's much more to play for. Um, you know, the top three teams from Division 1A and the top three teams from Division 1B, well, they'll be secure for next year's top flight and there'll be a playoff then for that seventh spot. And effectively then, like, you know... Well, I, I would imagine your chances of winning Lee McCarthy Cup in twenty twenty five will be enhanced by being in Division One. So it'll be so there is a bit to play for, Shane, and uh, I'm delighted because, my God, we looked at the games last year and you really were wondering what it was all about. And uh, you know, certainly the, the the Alliance leagues and football are a great competition, and we should have that in hurling as well. So we're a step closer to getting getting that back this time around. Absolutely, we're on the right track. Uh, Damien, we will finish our conversation there. Thank you very much for taking the call. Damien Lawler, RTE Gaelic Games uh, journalist. Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin. Game on. Ladies football. Now, it is time to chat ladies football in the company of Nadine Doherty, as is tradition of a Wednesday. Nadine, let us just dive straight in to our review, preview of uh, all of the action, really. Where to begin? Let us begin with the match that was on the box. Uh, Galway, 10 points. Mayo, 2-5. So not much between uh, these counties. Is it too easy to say that the result might have, might have been different if Galway had those Kilcarran players that we've been chatting about them been missing now for so long? Yeah, possibly, Shane. I mean, they're missing, you could say, half their team. Um, and with that, I think their, their biggest problem at the minute is their attack. Uh, I mean, they're fairly solid at the back. You know, they only conceded 2-5. Um, the previous week, I think they conceded 1-6. You know, so defensively, they're they're still fairly strong. But in attack, they're definitely missing. They're missing the pace and the conviction of those Kilcarran players. Um, and saying that, Mayo would definitely argue the opposite, perhaps, because mm. this time of year, look, regardless of personnel, this time of year, it's all about grinding out results. And I just felt with Mayo, they probably slightly shaded it in terms of deserving the win. You know, Galway put the press on maybe 
maybe the last 10 minutes, but it was too little, too late, and they missed chances. But I think for May overall, they definitely created more chances. Their work rate was probably slightly higher, and that maybe comes with a bit of um, experience as well. And I just think with Mayo, they played smarter winter league football, basically, and that's really what got them over the line. But a big result for them, because we spoke last week about, you know, the two teams going down. Um, both teams had lost last week. So I think from that point of view, Mayo will be very much delighted. But overall, Shane, it was a scrappy game. You mm. know, I just felt it was really physical. Um, it was quite ill-disciplined at the times, and the ref... I just felt at times he kind of had no control over it without maybe realising that he had no control over it. Um, there was a lot of foul and there was a lot of stop start. And both teams, I suppose they were clever in a sense. If they were turned over within their own half, they just stopped their opposition from building any kind of momentum. So from that point of view, it, was, it, was, it wasn't great to watch at times. In terms of the game plan as well, talk to me about the Liam McHale effect because I think I saw that in a couple of headlines and just that influence that we can already see. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I suppose you had Michael Moyles, who would have played football, I'd say. I think himself and Liam McHale would have definitely crossed over and playing for Mayo in the latter end of Liam's uh, career. Mm. And, you know, I suppose Michael Moyles started off with the, I suppose, male template in terms of men's football and then he moved very much to a kicking game we saw that at times with Mayo in terms of they kept their kicking game but you could totally see the effect of the men's game I mean they brought their keeper into play so much um, they went short with the kickouts they were very happy to try and keep possession at the back to suck uh, Galway into their own half and then hit them on the break um, so there was a lot of that uh, there was a lot of um, I suppose what would we say maybe uh, blocking the runner off the ball uh, which is now it, it, it's common in women's football now at the minute but uh, yeah I can definitely see the effect that Liam is having and you know I think it's going to be a good thing I think it'll take him a while as well to to learn the ways of the women's game and I think if he gets a balance between both which he will and I think this Mayo team have enough experience they will come the summer as they have been for the last few years they'll be there thereabouts Yeah a lot of people enjoy that basketball screen I think tactic a lot of people load it as well to be fair Yeah yeah, and you know what I would say as well, you can see he's demanding a huge amount of hard work off the ball. I okay. mean, there's no, there's no, you know, sitting back and bringing, letting the opposition walk out with that ball. They've a really high press in the kick out, really, really hard working on every aspect of their game. Um, and I mean, that's not necessarily from the men's game that you could say is... Perhaps it's just the new bulls surrounding a new manager and they're hungry. They're very, very hungry. And I mean, that's all you want as a manager this time of year. Mayo are going to need that hunger because they are next coming up against a Dublin team that have lost two out of two matches. They were defeated uh, in Park Tolton two five to seven points. So is this going to be just your stereotypical attritional match for, for Mayo and Dublin now considering where they're kind of coming in and that Lee McHale kind of effect you mentioned? Yeah, it's a, it's a big week for Dublin um, because they're away to Mayo and, and I mean Mayo will set up nicely at home um, and I think Dublin's biggest concern no more than Galway um, it's their attack Shane and as we predicted last week you know I felt that they would go with a stronger 15 in general and a stronger front six against me and they did I mean they had Carla Rowe up there Ellen Gribben and Jodie Egan you know obviously Carla Rowe we don't have to say much about Carla everybody knows Carla but Jodie mm. Egan and Ellen Gribben have played a huge role for Dublin they started very strong in terms of their first 15 but I mean it's it's very worrying uh, not very worrying but I think for 
it can be frustrated because seven points this week, six points the week before, no sign of goals. Um, they they'll find it difficult to go to Mayo because as we spoke there about you know their their organisation defensively. Um, I don't think Dublin care about the league too much, and we've spoken about this before. I mean, they got relegated a few years ago to Division Two, and they won the All Ireland, so they won't care. But I think um, they will be eager to get a win. They'll be eager eager to get some scores under the belt, but. Um, you know, as we said last week, the panic button will not be pressed. But I think if Mayo get that win over Dublin, I think they'll feel that that's a huge step for them to retain their Division 1 status. Um, so it should be, I, th- I think it'll be attritional again. I think it'll be physical. Um, and it'll be a, a tricky one to call. I, I'm, I'm just not sure if Dublin have the personnel there at the minute um, to really give the league a go. Um, I think we'll, we'll see. Is, is the bigger concern though from, from Dublin, okay, the results mightn't be the priority, but but the performances, like Mick will want to be seen performances, particularly if he's trying to blood in a couple of players, etc. Yeah, and now, in fairness to them, like they got off to a terrible start against Meath and they were, I think, like down by seven points after 10 minutes. But after that, you could see they, they started to play with a bit more hunger, um, a bit more energy about them. The silly mistakes were kind of being cut out. Um, and I suppose with with Dublin and Mick, you know, he makes changes. You could have a change every 10 minutes and it's kind of hard to get a flow to your game if that's happening. Um, yeah, I, I just think he wants to see the mistakes being cut out and and just a bit more I wouldn't even say hunger because every Dublin team is hunger um, it's not a worry from him I think it's more he'll just want them to replicate what they're doing in training um, on the pitch at the weekend and I think that's all he'll be concerned about um, at the minute it won't be results I, I don't think he'll be looking too much into that because again no more than male Dublin are going to be there thereabouts mm. um, in a couple of months time soon just because I'm not accused of any Dublin bias I've asked you two questions on this match all Dublin related however me they scored 2-5 in, in a packed Park Tolton as, well, as well so in terms of performance brilliant and a brilliant to see kind of that good performance from the supporters in the stand yeah, and, and probably the only place where we saw a big crowd this weekend, but it was brilliant to see. And I suppose the thing about that, Shane, you know, you can say you have two teams who have been so successful, the two most successful teams over the last years. So it just shows that success, I suppose, breeds a following. Mm. Um, they also have brilliant county boards. They're very good on social media. They're very good at promoting their superstars. So from that regard, like that's why upwards of a couple of thousand people were there. But in terms of Meath's performance, they're a happy team, Shane. And we spoke about this last year. You could just see by the performances, they just weren't happy. They seemed very happy with Shane McCormick. Monica McGurk spoke after um, about how impressed they are with him and his backroom team. You can see that by the way they're playing. And I know we always talk about her, but Emma Duggan is fit. She makes them tick, Shane. I mean, her strength for the second goal. She has two feet, she has two hands. And, you know, her playing well means me, they're playing well. And I think if she stays fit this year, their momentum is just going to continue on and on. And it's great to see them. I wouldn't even say back because they didn't go anywhere. They still challenged massively last year. But it's great to see that they're in a good place and they're definitely going to be pushing on as well. And I know it's very early in the league, but you just know by a team and the personnel that they have there and being happy with the backroom team, it's great to see. So me, two from two. As are um, Armagh, one eight to one six winners over Cork and in Porky Rin. And Armagh continuing to play just with this new air of confidence. 
Yeah, and again, it's it's all about being happy, I think, with their management team. Um, really confident. They're playing. We talked about the Lee McHale effect. They're, they're playing with the Gregory effect. You know, they squeeze their defence. They frustrate teams. They force them to kick under pressure. And uh, no more than uh, Emma Duggan being such a feature for me, Amy Mack, and she just caused Cork so much difficulty at the weekend. Um, it, on, the, on the score sheet, it, it seems like it was tighter than it actually was. But, you know, Armagh really created way more chances. They could have had three goals. Um, they, they Cork just couldn't get any kind of momentum together. Aside from the first, say, 10 minutes in the second half, they created a couple of chances. They didn't take them. And you just felt when they didn't take those chances, Armagh were always just going to hold them to a point and then push on, and they did. Um, but, yeah, you know, Armagh, there are a lot of people's kind of favourites perhaps for the league or even making a league final this year um, and you can't really argue with that at the minute the way the way they've gone but they've they've tougher challenges ahead I feel you know we'll we'll see what they're like in, in six weeks but in terms of their forward play defensive play overall they, they look very happy they look very solid yeah, so I'll be excited to see them in a couple of weeks yeah, so far, so good. Um, Armagh hosting Galway, and as we mentioned at the start of our conversation, Galway looking for a big response um, to their uh, poor start to the league. Um, in Fitzgerald Stadium, Kerry 2-11, Waterford uh, 2-5. Uh, what caught your eye from this, Nadine? Well, Kerry been completely asleep for the first quarter of the game. Um, like, Waterford got two goals. Now, granted, they were mistakes by the Kerry defence and the Kerry goalkeeper, but... They were 2-1 ahead before Kerry even realised that they were in a game. Um, they relied on a few frees. Neve Carmody, their captain, had another excellent game. She knocked over a few frees and, you know, they rolled on the changes kind of just before halftime and they powered on. But, I mean, looking at the Kerry, the squad, like, they were able to bring on Coach Lynch, Hannah O'Donoghue, Anna Galvin, Ashley O'Connell, and Louise Navarro-Hertig all came off the bench um, and there aren't many teams who'd be able to roll out names like that. Um, conditions were poor again, Shane. Um, and Waterford, you know, they they feel a little bit hard to run by. But, I mean, when you build up a lead of that stature and against a team like Kerry, you kind of have to close up shop, even if it's that early in the game, and they didn't. And you know, just always felt that Kerry had enough in the tank to, to go past them. So, yeah, look, it's two from two for Kerry. But, you know, I said it a few weeks ago at the start of the league, we saw this from, from Kerry last year, whereby they powered everybody out of the way in the league and then they kind of ran out of steam come championship. So I feel they just have to be careful of that happening again and maybe taper things a bit better. But, look, they're they're kind of rotating their their team and that'll, that'll bode well later on. But, uh, yeah, they look pretty good. And They're, they're, they're not going to be taking the foot off the gas bank holiday Monday, Nadine. Cork, Cork no, Interleague. Yeah, see, this is it, like, this is it. Um, uh, Cork Interleague, and listen, Cork put manners on them in the Monster Championship last year, you know, and I know Kerry ended up going to the All-Ireland Final, but it's a derby and they won't be taking the foot off the gas. So it's, I think that's going to be the, the Kerry management team's biggest challenge this year. One of their biggest challenges is to, to find that balance between powering on too early in the different stages of the championship because it's a long year Shane like we're only the end of January and you know they'll be going until probably July you know if they make a final again in August so it's getting that balance right but yeah, they'll definitely be looking to, to get one over Cork um, and Cork again they've kind of been 
spluttering away, really, you could say. Um, and no more than Dublin, they'd be trying out a lot of players in the league. Uh, they'd be trying, they, they seem to be trying a few different positional changes and so on. So I think against Kerry, we might see more of a true reflection of, of what kind of cork we'll see going forward for the rest of the league. Um, but you'd have to say the carrier would be slight favourites for that now in the bank holder. Okay, great stuff. Uh, just to round up the fixtures, on Sunday, Armagh host Galway in the Athletic Grounds, 2pm. Dublin are on the road, their way to Mayo in uh, Stephen Knight's 2pm throw-in for there, and 2pm throw-in as well in uh, Friar Field for Waterford Mead on the Sunday, and then as I mentioned, Bank Holiday Monday, 3pm, Austin Stark Park in Tralee. Nadine, pleasure as always, really appreciate you taking the time. Game on. Ladies football. Game on. Football. Now we are going to end our show chatting football but before we cross to our reporters in England some transfer news involving an Ireland international signing with Crystal Palace. Uh, The Crystal Palace women's team have just announced the signing of Abby Larkin from Glasgow City for an undisclosed fee. A couple of days ago, Palace, of course, announced uh, the signing of Izzy Atkinson. So Larkin and Atkinson linking up once again after starring for Shells in the uh, League of Ireland Women's um, Premier Division. So good news on that front. We can get team news um, from Manchester City. Uh, They're hosting Burnley and there for us is Peter Smith. And it's interesting team news as well because beware the Premier League Holland is on the city bench and De Bruyne starts for only the second time this season as one of six city changes from Friday's FA Cup win at Spurs. As Edison, Stones, Nunes, Lewis and Doku all return to the city starting lineup, will take a Walker, Dios, Kovacic, Silva and Bob drop down to the bench. Just a solitary change for the Burnley team who've got the unenviable task of trying to hold City's seven-match winning sequence and 31 games at home without losing. Vincent Company has gone with Berger in midfield in preference to Cullen, who's named as a substitute. At a damp and wet Etihad Stadium, it's Manchester City against Burnley. Peter Smith, thank you very much. Kick-off at half seven. Disappointing to see Josh Cullen on the bench, but good news to see Dara O'Shea um, starting. Team news uh, from London. Spurs host Brentford, uh, half seven kick-off as well. Huge news for Spurs fans as James Madison starts tonight for the first time since November 6th. Madison is one of two changes from the side beaten by Manchester City in the FA Cup fourth round with Oliver Skip also coming in. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg and Brennan Johnson both dropped to the bench for Brentford. Uh, Ireland's Nathan Collins starts uh, and and Ivan Tony is up top at Anfield Forest. Fergal Brennan, who doesn't have uh, team news yet, I would imagine, because it is a quarter past eight kickoff. However, Fergal, there's lots to look forward to as uh, league leaders Liverpool host uh, tenth place Chelsea. There is indeed. Uh, Jurgen Klopp said after the Norwich FA Cup game at the weekend that he wanted a special atmosphere this evening. And I have to tell you, similarly to Peter over in Manchester, that the weather here is, is pretty bad. But uh, Anfield filling up nicely ahead of kickoff. You'd expect a capacity crowd. It'll be loud. It'll be passionate. Um, and this will be the scene now for Klopp, particularly at home between now and the end of the campaign. Obviously, on the back of the news that he'll be leaving at the end of the season. And Liverpool, as it stands, still fighting across four fronts. Team news not in just yet. 
We'll be expecting that in about 15 to 20 minutes, but there will be changes from that Norwich game. Obviously, Klopp brought in some young players to give them a bit of a chance. Conor Bradley, who's seen a bit of action, and, and James McConnell, who was excellent in midfield. Uh, they're probably going to be dropping out. Trent Alexander-Arnold is back fit. We could see Andy Robertson starting for the first time in, in 2024. Um, but I think there, there will be a, a few changes in it. Mo Salah's not fit enough yet. He's stepped up his recovery, and he won't be going back to the Ivory Coast for the Afri- African Cup of Nations with um, Egypt knocked out. As for Chelsea, their injury list hasn't really shown a huge amount of changes. Maurizio Pochettino saying that Romeo Lavia and Christopher Nkunku might be ready to play, um, but we'll find all that out in about 10 to 15 minutes. Fergal, each of the last seven meetings between these teams have been levelled. The longest run of consecutive draws between two top flight clubs in English football history. If they go back to March 2021 with Chelsea winning 1-0 at Anfield uh, in the Premier League. However, given the forms of, of, of both of these teams coming into this, you would have to favour Liverpool. You would, and particularly at home. Obviously, mm. the unbeaten home record uh, stretches all the way back into into 2022. Uh, they've only lost one Premier League game this season, and that was um, against away against Tottenham, of course. So, yes, you would. But Chelsea in the past have found a way to kind of smother Liverpool, certainly to an extent. There's been littered through all of those games that you mentioned. There's been missed chances by Liverpool. But generally speaking, Chelsea tactically have got it right to, to shut out Liverpool probably to their own detriment of maybe going and winning the game themselves. Richard Pochettino, you imagine, might be a tiny bit more open in, in the way that he approaches things. But because of the players that they've got missing, with all due respect to Chelsea and, and their end-of-season objectives, if they get a point at Anfield tonight, that will be a big positive for them because we're still dealing with a Chelsea team that is very, very inconsistent. This is the second game of Jurgen Klopp's uh, farewell tour. Um, and there's a documentary being made as well now, Fergal. I don't know if you're, you're starring in that now. but mm-hmm. is, <laughs> How is this going to affect the Liverpool team? Like, Will it galvanise them that we want to send Klopp out on a high, I, I would imagine? Yeah, I mean, Klopp was asked about it in the build-up to this game and he said the documentary is taking place but it's very much in the background and, and the, the kind of media team and the, and the club staff will be dealing with that side of it. Um, but I do think that is the message running right the way through the squad. We, we saw Virgil van Dijk clarify some of his comments yesterday where he was quoted previously as saying that he was... Um, I think he said he was interested in seeing what would come when the new manager comes in and obviously the gossip column kind of jumped on that and, and span it into something else. He is very committed. The whole squad that are here are very committed and they know that there is a chance to do something very special. Liverpool at the start of the season maybe were not being mentioned as title contenders because Manchester City were there, Arsenal had strengthened. Um, They are right in the middle of that conversation now. They're top of the league. They've got an advantage over City and Arsenal, albeit you have to be kind of quick to remember that if City do win those two games in hand regardless of what Liverpool do tonight and against Arsenal at the weekend they would go top so it's still very very tight but the players are all rowing in back behind Klopp they've got some important players back and in a couple of weeks they'll have Salah back just to throw into the mix as well not bad Fergal Brennan thank you uh, very much Peter Smith as well thank you very much that is all we have time for big thanks to Ronald Lawler and Laura Lee Davis Better De Silva is up next with lots of great music from Houseplants Lyra and a 2FM rising profile uh, with Galway based Brad Heidi so lots to look forward to Game On is back from 6 o'clock tomorrow but for now from all of the Game On team it is goodbye RTE 2FM Game on on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men 72-hour advanced deodorant. Tough on sweat, not on skin.